you're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex and Herds, here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. And we are back with our second week discussing Whose Body? Whose Body? By Dorothy L. Sayers, chapters five to nine. This is the first book in the Lord Peter Whimsey series. And uh, was Dorothy L. Sayers' debut? And Herds, mm. I bet you've been having just the, the swellest of times in trying to decipher all of the information in this book. It is a lot. Look, I can play about lots of characters whenever there are a lot of characters. I don't know that it's a superfluous number of characters. It's the problem. It's more just that there are so many monologues and we see the other characters so infrequently. I forget that they exist and I forget who's who. I have managed to figure out who Lord Parker and Lord Peter are. I, I can distinguish them. I think you're good. most of the way there then. I think I'm most of the way there through, you know, the important characters in this novel. But um, as as before, like there are so many scenes where we're just watching Lord Peter or Lord Parker go on these tremendous rants about yeah. criminology and psychology and and books and theorems <laughs> and Shakespeare. It's crazy. This book is insane. I, I thought that perhaps the most <laughs> ridiculous part of this novel was in chapter five, which is where we picked up today, when Peter and Parker are both, pun intended, are both sitting down discussing all of the evidence that they've amassed thus far. And we go through points A, B, C, D, and E of evidence. And then we question whether C is identical with B and D is identical with E with B. And then we clarify whether possibility one, two, and three, which are introduced in reverse order for no particular reason, yeah. could be of any complication. Then we introduce alternatives A, B, C, and D mm-hmm. featuring character X. Then we go through- Yeah, it look, I'm going to stop you right there because can I tell you, this is what it sounded like in my head as I was reading it. I've more or less blocked it from my mind because I don't know if Dorothy L. Sayers is trying to to help the reader by laying out some possible solutions, but it felt like just a terrible smokescreen that was also just just completely invisible at the same time. I I knew I was lost when I went back to look at the highlights that I'd made in my color coding system for taking notes and realized that I'd color coded the entire section the wrong colors, oh, I no. just like spaced out on what information was what. Yeah. There's lots of discussion of the the material facts of the case of like the fingerprints and the hairs and the individual items of clothing and all this sort of thing. But it all ends up in this confusing mess of a conversation Good on Peter and Parker for trying. Uh, to, to be fair, though, they do kind of come back to this point in a later conversation mm. where we talk about unjumbling sequences of letters. Yeah. They use the word scissors as an example, which I've just ruined the, the puzzle for those of you who haven't seen it. But basically, you see the letters of scissors, they're all jumbled. And the, the book is kind of explaining how you could go through every single permutation of what order you could put the letters in. Or you could just have a lightning bolt moment and skip the whole process of trying to work out the puzzle, which is a weird angle for a murder mystery to take in terms of explaining how you're supposed to solve the mystery. But like, I don't think that it is because the thing that it neatly (laughs) 
occludes is that the lightning bolt moment often happens because of context. Sure. Like, you know, if you have the letters of scissors and you're trying to unjumble them, then it's not going to be particularly useful for you if you, say, don't speak English. Mm -hmm. But if you have learned the English language, or to expand the metaphor, the clues of the case, then perhaps you will have the context for lightning to strike. You have erected the lightning rod for this particular moment. Look, I totally get what you're saying, but I I think that on its own, the way that it is illuminated, this novel is just, it just felt very strange in the moment that we're saying, you know, there, there's a certain element of luck. I thought, I thought that its strangeness was like on purpose. I felt that the omission there it, was it like, probably is meant to draw your attention to it as a reader. Probably, probably. I just know that if you are relying on lightning striking your face to solve a murder mystery, it's going to, it's going to happen. You're going to get struck in the face before you solve the mystery. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. You got to use some clues. So you'll be lost. That's true. And you'll only be able to solve one murder mystery because as we all know lightning only strikes in the same place once. Unless you hold a big metal rod up to the sky. But unfortunately, we don't have a metal rod. Ah, damn. Instead, we have, I'm going to say Bunter. I'm going to say Bunter is the hero of this novel. Oh, he is Bunter. Bunter, definitely Bunter, Bunter. my favorite character um, so far. I love how he is like always there to help out. He's always going along with the schemes. I love the conversation where Lord Peter sends Bunter off to chat with Cummings, who's, I think he was Thip's servant, maybe one of the servants. Yeah, that sounds right. And he's like, okay, Bunter, I want you to go suss out this servant, see if Thip's was up to anything strange or if there's anything strange going with the apartment that the body was found in, all that sort of thing. And he gets a letter from Bunter and Bunter says, you know, well, I had this lovely conversation and here it is. As I remember it, he writes out the whole conversation, this letter, which is, mm-hmm. he's got a fantastic memory, this bunter. Which we justify later, but we'll get to that. I'm sure we'll get to that. But we also, he also mentions how he's like plied the servant with Lord Peter's best port. <laughs> like his best drinks have been thrown down. And we get all these like little reaction shots almost of Lord Peter going, oh, not my port. Oh, bunter, how dare you, you devil. Like, oh, he's always up to <laughs> these the tricks. cigars. Exactly. It's like, it's down the drain, bunter. How could you do this to me? But he's, he's just doing what's best for his master, you know? It's like his whole thing. It's it's absolutely fantastic. I think Bunter is like, I, I don't want to say he's the most compelling character, but I think that he's perhaps the most well fleshed out in that like he transitions from background piece to highlight of a scene really effortlessly. Sure. In particular, like that moment there is really fantastic. And I mentioned we justified that he has great memory for things that were said. We find out later that he was, you know, part of the communications trenches when he goes to reassure Lord Peter that mm-hmm. things are all uh, going according to plan. And this is just like his experience in the war. So we've kind of established that he's used to keeping track of all of the things going through his operations facility. I, I love those tiny little details. I like that he's also in, in that scene where Lord Peter is like, he's having a hard time. It seems like he's like cracked the case mm. um, and he's having a bit of a, he's having a PTSD moment from the war. And Bunter is like, oh, don't worry. Those bombs you hear, that's just our sappers in the trenches. Like, that's that's supposed to be happening. It's totally fine. And it's it's difficult to tell like how much of it is genuine concern for his lordship and how much is because he's a servant. I like to think it's all, you know, care and compassion, but you know. Clearly he has experience with looking after Peter when when Peter is like he's having a hard time um when he slips into these PTSD flashbacks. Bunter's there to pull him out of them, which I think is is kind of a cool uh, moment of camaraderie in this novel. The the other really interesting scene in terms of characterization that we get is the like coroner's courtroom scene to me. Oh my goodness. That's primarily through Parker's eyes, but it 
kind of flips back and forth between like court documentation, which has like, it's detailed like a script with the speaker stated each time. Then we kind of get these interjections from Parker's thoughts. And it was such a bizarre way to introduce like a whole bunch of characters. It was this very noisy set of information. We had both Bill Williams, William Williams, and William oh Watts goodness. in the one scene. So terrible. Were two of them the same character? I I, I think Bill and Will Williams, are, that's one guy's nickname, right? Well, let me, I mean, can I tell you that my, my uncle and my grandfather are both named William and we call my uncle Bill to differentiate the two. So mm-hmm. this isn't that strange is all I'm saying. I have experience with the Williams. No, I, I actually really enjoyed the corona scene because as you say, it has that like, kind of clinical nature to it as we're reading the minutes, but also we go through these like very um, subjective stories about things that happened on the night of the murder. Yeah. I want to say Bill Williams, he he goes to a a pub and he talks about this, like this like drug raid that went down. It's this whole crazy thing. And it's all in the midst of the the coroner's inquest. It's not Mm -hmm. supposed to be that emotional, this, this scene, but that's, that's kind of how it turns out because we're following all these individual characters and the Duchess and her like opinions of all the characters who we see, like Julian Frakes and all that sort of thing. So it's it's quite a again a quite a chaotic scene, but I like that we see those two sides of things. We see the emotional and the clinical kind of brought together. And it's also a, a really good bit for the mystery as well that I think because hmm. by kind of flip flopping us regularly between the clues basis and the motive character basis we get a lot of mileage informationally out of a scene without it becoming exhausting. Mm. There's, there's still a level of fatigue to how much information there is in that particular scene, yes. but I think it gets away with a lot more than it otherwise would have. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I also really liked the conversations that we had between Peter and Parker about the aftermath of that courtroom scene as well, because, you know, we're kind of introduced... We, we, we'd been introduced to Julian Frake previously just as a kind of background piece of the novel. But then he's one of a number of characters we bring up to the stand and then they're able to discuss those characters. And I really liked some of the some of the quips and discussions that we got out of that. There was a note in there that, oh, you know, this man that we found in the bath, he he like looked as though he'd recently come upon some money. Mm. And there was a line in there that's like, ah, just like an Australian colonist. And I'm like, Dorothy, darling, <laughs> Federation was 22 years ago. Oh, no, <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, you know, it's the stories of the time, isn't it? Well, actually, I, I really enjoy the way that Peter and Parker talk to each other. Uh, I think it's the same conversation, but a little bit later, they get into kind of the the ethics around the attitude towards detectiving. Yes. Which is really bizarre because obviously we kind of expect our detectives to be in this battle of wits against the criminal and it's like a chess game and all that sort of thing. But Peter is is you know, talk to Parker, who's basically acting as an off-duty cop mm-hmm. during this this investigation. And Parker says, you know, I, I think that your attitude is completely wrong. You can't be treating this like a game. You can't treat this like a football game. And, you know, afterwards shake hands and say, oh, you know, I'll get you back next time. You need to know that when you convict a murderer, they are going to be hanged or hung, which, whichever one it is. And, and that's just how it's going to be. You need to not think of this like it's fun which I think is interesting, showing the difference between their two perspectives in this, you know, murder mystery novel, which is sort of supposed to be fun to us. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's cool. so fascinating to me because it reminds me of like one of the very first interviews we had on the program, which was with Simon Brett, mm-hmm. where he spoke about how the wars heavily changed British attitudes towards crime fiction because 
suddenly death wasn't as nice of a penalty. It, it was kind of interesting seeing a moment of like self-reflection here uh, in between the, those two reckonings that kind of crime fiction inadvertently had because of the wars. Yeah, yeah. Not that I disagree with you, but we do seem to, to chat about Simon Brett quite a lot on this show. I mean, it's both because it's very true for golden age crime fiction, which is inescapable when we're talking about murder mystery. Mm. But even in all of the wonderful murder mystery dialogue that I've seen over the internet, it's, it's just one of those, those thoughts that everyone kind of accepts and never acknowledges. Sure. And it was really interesting to be seeing it acknowledged yeah for sure i mean the way that um that parker is sort of talking about this kind of admonishing lord peter's attitude reminds me like the way he talks about reminds me more of like a i'd use the analogy of a saturday morning cartoon show Mm -hmm. um he uses a football match which you know times change it's true football well out of fashion (laughs) i know right nobody (laughs) plays i certainly don't know what a football even is it's one of those old things that went away with the dodo Mm -hmm. but but more that i i think it's interesting that uh, that attitude of of seeing a murder mystery where there is fun and there is I'll see you next time I think has uh, is still popular mm-hmm. these days the the very kind of like arch villain driven franchise stuff yeah for sure for sure yeah I think it's very interesting that we're still having this conversation about the two sides of crime fiction or of murder mystery fiction yeah I I also I did want to want to shout out before we wrap up this section that. We we do a really good job of getting away from the main crime. You know, it's still about the man in the bath, but, you know, Lord Whimsy even says to Bunter, like, good gracious, next time two cases come up at once, I'll, I want out of there. Mm-hmm. And it's both been our, like, excuse to get Peter away from the case for a moment to just get the information to flesh out the rest of the cast in a fairly unusual way for a Golden Age murder mystery. Sure. <laughs> but despite... Peter Whimsy coming back in and saying, never let this happen again. I I didn't actually mind it too much. And I thought it was uh, a clever poke that Dorothy L. Sayers may have put it at herself there. I mean, this is just the way of of good of good murder mysteries. When you when you have multiple mysteries going on at once, no matter how innocuous they may seem, they're always tied together in in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, assuming we're dealing with a you know a proper murder mystery of the of the sort that we're dealing with. That is an assumption here. that we we may be making. We may be. Just just a, a <laughs> assumption there of an assumption, you know. Anyhow, we should wrap this here and head over and discuss the mystery later in the show. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour. They're on 2SER 107.3. We are discussing Whose Body by Dorothy L. Sayers. And we'll be back with more of that in just a second. This is 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader which is your murder mystery world tour here on that very station. I am Flex. I'm joined by my regular co-conspirator, Herds. It's me. In discussion of Dorothy L. Sayers' debut murder mystery, Whose Body? Whose Body? Chapters 5 to 9, wherein Herds is solving this murder mystery, filling the shoes of one Lord Peter Whimsey himself as he runs about the greatest of Britons. It's true. And there are, in fact, two... Cases to be solved here, mm-hmm. which, as I was alluding to in the previous uh, discussion, are, of course, linked at the hip. Oh, yeah. Perhaps sewn together by the very hands that 
create created the the problem in the first place. There we go. I feel like I'm I'm being led to a particular character with that opening statement. There, herds. I mean, shall we shall we get into things? Because sure, I, you mentioned last week on the show that Dorothy says might go with some quite simple solutions, and I've been umming and ahhing because I do have some some very complicated thoughts, and I do have some very simple thoughts, and I think there's a happy medium between the two. <laughs> but there's some lines that I keep coming across yeah. um, that are bizarre in terms of foreshadowing. Um, one of the lines that st- stuck out to me the most when I was reading the first part of the novel is the mention of the bodies in in the hospital. And last week, you went on this whole tirade about Julian Frakes, uh, who I probably wisely did not pick as the culprit for last week because I was still putting things together. I think so. But, <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's that controversial to say that that, that Frakes did it. Well, hold on. The doctor doing it in a story, that means we can't know, even be assured crazy. that anything about the corpse is true. Maybe it's not I even know. a body. It might not even be a body. Here's the thing. We know that he likes to mess around with dead bodies. He's a vivisectionist. I don't know that we're necessarily dealing with a, a chopped up a chopped up body situation. Mm-hmm. I think that somebody would probably notice that the body in the bath had been chopped up, but it is mentioned during the, the coroner's hearing that they get bodies from workhouses and free hospitals. Yeah. I think the body in the bath is someone from one of these workhouses who has mm-hmm, died mm-hmm. in an accident and Freaks has stuck the body in the bath to pretend to be Levy, who he has also killed. And you may be wondering why has he done this? Why has he killed... Was it Reuben Levy? Is that his Ruben name? Reuben Levy is his Ruben name, Levy. yes. So when Lord Peter is having his shell shots moment, th- there's this like info dump. I think they're books that Freaks has written. From what I can tell, it's this whole list of them. Yeah, he's he's a Knight of Grace of the Order of St. John of Jerusalem, consulting surgeon of St. Luke's Hospital, Battersea, grilling him. I can't pass all of what I'm reading here, but <laughs> the books that he's written- Range from, ah, yes, I am a doctor interested in brains and the nervous system to insanity Mm -hmm. and examination into the treatment of pauper lunacy, modern developments in psychotherapy, criminology, and then you get to his hobbies and it says chess. And I go, oh, this doctor's really obsessed with criminology. He's probably done this just because he wanted to get away with a crime and he's obsessed with the idea of mixing and matching bodies. There is mention of some Peruvian oils that he's sold off. Oh, no, not a that- complex scientific device that will need explanation at the end. <laughs> I really look, I'll, I will say, I really hope that the oils have anything to do with the crime. Um, <laughs> be- like, <laughs> the thing is, they talk about the oils. They say, wow, he sure earned some money off of the death of, of, of Reuben Levy, but it like wasn't very much, not enough to kill him over. Mm-hmm. But if he's already wanting to kill this guy to, satisfy his sick criminal urges, which is a, a topic in this novel that we discuss semi-frequently. Yeah. I think that it would just be like the, the frosting on top of the cake for him. That would be my assumption. Like there's lots of little lines that talk about, you know, different aspects of this case. I think the one that sticks out the most to me is the the Shakespeare mention, which is part of the the rant that I keep talking about with his like his attitude problem. Lord Peter, I believe, is talking about Shakespeare and how cool it is. Actually, it might have been the Duchess, I think. But anyway, I think so. Point is, they they bring up the idea that oh, it couldn't be a simple man in a girl's clothes situation. That sort of identity switching is 
far out there, really boring. Yeah, it's very and trite, very trite. Say. It's far, far above you ever to put in a book. Yeah, like we've already had it established that we have a character impersonating Levy the night before he was killed, probably to make sure that Freak has an alibi for. I, I know I have I've missed that part of the investigation. We're totally honest, but um, we've already had that foreshadowed. So to keep compounding on it is a is a big red flag. So yeah, it was it was Freak. And he, he killed the man and switched his body with someone in the hospital. So then they could say, there are all the bodies in the hospital, but we just haven't identified all of them like individually. And he did it because he's a crazy criminal person. That sounds fantastic to me. You yeah. know what, Herds? <laughs> Whenever I think of the great murder mysteries of history, it truly is the crazy killer who did it just because they wanted to that just strikes my fancy right at the fanciest point. Look, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. There's probably a much more complicated reason in here that I am missing, but that is Well, maybe there is, Herds, and that's certainly going to be a point for you. Right. Uh, I think the other thing that I want to ask is, you know, you were mentioning in there his alibi. Yeah. I suppose the question is, is why- Aside from just this nature of wanting to get away with a crime because he likes working with bodies and he enjoys the game of chess, mm. do you think that we needed to go and hide a body in, of all people, Thrips's house in the bath? Is a suggestion that someone snuck in there and waited through the day, then left the body in the bath and like left through the window, mm. which is why there's no evidence of like breaking and entering? But was that Frake himself? We don't hear any testimony from anyone letting Freak into the house. We don't know of a way that he could have gotten in there. What do you think, Hertz? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, I am going to say, I'm going to say, oh, hold on, let me think. Realistically speaking, in terms of the options of characters that we have to pin the crime on here, as I covered last week. It's not that many. There's <laughs> not many people unless you want to pin it on the police, which, as we know, is just not well to do. Mm. But then it's also not well to pin it on a doctor, but also kind of the best to pin it on a doctor. It's, it's- Well, I don't think that there's anyone else who it could be pinned on. Uh, in terms of characters who have given evidence that could be found false. Unless you're going to blame it on William, William, William Watts, mm. I, I, think it's a, I think it's a pretty clean bet. I just, I need to know the accoutrement for this big, sophisticated scheme that you've come up with here. So here's the thing. We know, based on this regurgitation of information, which I'm basing my entire theory on, by the way, mm-hmm. literally this entire theory is based on this. We have that his recreations, his hobbies, are chess, as I've mentioned, mountaineering, and fishing. Ah. Uh, I'm going to say- He's practicing his mountaineering by clambering up the outside of the house for yes. his hand. Yes, that's, that's exactly <laughs> it. I'm going to say that <laughs> through a combination of climbing the outside of the house- and perhaps- With a body on, in tow. Yes. Well, maybe he hooked the body with the fishing line and he drug the body out the- out. Wait, no, through the window. Yes. Mm-hmm. He hangs the body. F- maybe, oh, I mean, he can probably throw it on his shoulder, but for the sake of, you know, forming a cohesive theory based on the clues that have been presented, I think that he has hooked the body to some, to some rope and attached that to his- He's got a harness because, look, he's mountaineers. You know, he's got a harness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he uses his, like, doctor's gloves. So he doesn't leave any, any fingerprints on the on the windowsill. Uh, and, yeah, he climbs up onto the roof. He climbs in through the window. And that's how he gets the body in the bath. He just, like, that's why nobody sees him. He, like, climbs in like a crazy mm. person. That's exactly it. 
It's reminding me, uh, have, you, have you ever seen the uh, the famous interactive movie Death Stranding, directed by Hideo Kojima? <laughs> I have seen parts of that, yes. I'm picturing Norman Reedus clambering <laughs> the, the outside uh, of yeah, this particular yeah. building. Look, I tend to think of doctors as old men, so yeah, this is as much of a shock to me as it is to you. <laughs> now, now I, suppose, I suppose the other question that I have here, Herds, is we we've got this like disposal of the corpse idea. He's getting rid of this to get get rid of the crime. Do you think that the corpse that he chose to get rid of is of any note other than the fact that he had it in his possession? Uh, the fact that you've asked that question means probably, but does it? I don't. That's a great question. Let's put it this way: I assume that he's chosen the body because it looks as unlike uh, Reuben Levy as as possible. That would be my guess as to why the body has been chosen. I would assume. Yeah, I mean, I would assume that he's picked him because of his background. Maybe this worker worked in a Peruvian oil factory. Ooh. You know, that's <laughs> oh, and he's selling oils on the side and got blackmailed. Sure, why not? That sounds great to me. Gotta 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 kill someone. Gotta have someone be your, your patsy, your corpse patsy. Yes, yes. Might absolutely. as well be this Peruvian oil dealer. Mm-hmm. Sure, that sounds good to me. And then I guess the suggestions that Freak makes about the corpse in the bathtub during the coroner's inquest, uh, he mentions that it, it's a poor man who seems to have recently come into some money. Do you think he's just dressed up the man to make it seem like he had money? Clearly, he's dressed him up because he's trying to make him look like Reuben Levy. That's why the cop is like, Mr. Suggs is like, I don't know, maybe it could be Mr. Levy. I think I'd have to have another look. Because clearly the idea is that we get this 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 poor guy, dress him up by Le- like Levy and make everyone think that that's Levy's corpse in the bathtub when actually uh, he's been stashed in the hospital. And I would assume this is all just part of part of the game for Frakes as he's trying to keep things in. Well, yeah, because that, that was my following question. It feels like it's fairly obvious that it's not Reuben Levy in the bathtub. So, like, what is, aside from just wanting to mentally show off, mm. do you think that there's any other reason that he's put himself at such great risk? Is it just him trying to get away with the great genius he perceives himself to be. I mean, that's definitely 9% of it. I don't know. I, because uh... the, the scene that struck me, interestingly, mm-hmm. uh, was at the, the end of the court scene, the coroner asks and says, and what of the, the, the pince that were left on the man? Mm. Uh, and, Dr. Julian Frake says, well, you know, you'd have to ask someone else. I'm not much of an expert. And then continues to speculate anyway. Yeah. Like, he's he's really putting himself in harm's way, criminally speaking here. He's probably showing off. Let's be real. But it seems for someone, like, obviously, if he's trying to get away with crime to prove his intelligence, there's a level of inherent hubris in that. But do you think it's all hubris that's putting him in... In, in such risky positions? I would say that it is in his interest for the body to be identified as Levy just to get everything off his back. Maybe he's like worried the police are going to come down on him. That'd be my my guess mm-hmm. on that regard. If he's like willing to put, you know, put himself out there, put some extra, uh, some extra information in the air about like who the body is and that sort of thing. Maybe he's sick of how long it's taking them to identify the body. Yeah. That'd be my best guess based on what we've seen so far. All right. I I, I like this solution, Herds. I, I I can't dispute in any way, shape or form that Julian Frake is a person of interest Good. in Great. this particular crime, especially considering how little we seem to have 
poked him as a suspect. Like he's he's really been given a free run through a lot of this book. This is the problem when I come to like picking a criminal. I feel like there is no one else it could be because all the other characters we, we go, oh, that hardened criminal, he's so interesting. Let's go interrogate him. And then they're like, I'm just a regular guy. Oh, I misidentified the detective. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a dumb mistake. But like, if we're dealing with this like criminal genius, they should they should know who they're up against. They should know Lord Peter, whatever his name is, w- Wivisham? Whimsy. Whimsy, that's the one. I know where he got shum from. I don't know what you did. I feel <laughs> like his Peter name Whimsy. is fairly self-explanatory considering the tone of the novel. You know what? You're 100% correct. Lord Peter Whimsy, he's my my nemesis and I have to defeat him. That's how I feel. I, I think that makes sense. In the same way that Julian Frake is out here trying to defeat the real criminal who you've definitely missed. Great. The, the other thing that I... Okay, so hold on. I do want to throw one other thing out there. Oh, sure. Because I might as well... We've been talking a lot about Frakes, but we have had mention of uh, Ruben Levy. Like, he seems to be the one that set up, is it William Williams or whatever, the the whole bar stitch up situation. And he like talked with, he talked with a lady of the night, I think. I think that he's oh, like- Oh, you think, you think this is all I think that payback for that setup? May, maybe, maybe. Look, I think that what's probably happened is that Levy and Frakes were working together. Um, and then Frakes has decided to kill Levy anyway. I think that's most likely what has happened on the back end of this of this crime. I'm not sure why. I'll be honest. This part of the of the mystery is is eluding me. But clearly, Levy wanted to get out of Dodge and was like, "Frakes, can you like spirit me away?" He's like, "Sure." And then he totally kills him. That's that's the real hard truth. That's the real hard facts of the case. I think I think that has me covered. I think I'm happy. Good. To uh, close my notebook, mull on these points. Great. And we can simmer. We can simmer and stew until we next meet to decide your fate. I'm excited. I'm excited to get I'm excited to get all four points easily. It's gonna be great. I'll be I'll be a little disappointed if you do, but you know, I'm not gonna hold back so if I. you've if you've earned them. Okay, fair enough. You have a think about things and we'll we'll see how things go next time on. That sounds good to me. Herds, thank you very much for joining us. Uh here on Death of the Reader. Yeah, it's been a it's been fantastic. I look forward to uh, bringing the conclusion of Whose Body? Whose Body? By Dorothy L. Sayers to your airwaves next week here on 2SER 107.3. This has been your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we'll be back all the way to the end of Dorothy L. Sayers' debut novel next week on the show. See you then. You know, there was one other... Yeah, just to throw this out there. Just to throw this out. I know we've literally just wrapped up, but... <laughs> But, I'm absolutely but, fading the episode out but, on you saying that. But I want it on record. I want it on my personal record. To SER, sounds and ideas for Sydney.